All right, everybody. Well, hey, I'm excited, okay? I'm really excited. And I'll tell you, it's not always, and it's not even all that often, that God just spills and spills stuff. And I think it was Wednesday morning, if I'm not mistaken, I woke up really, really early, and stuff started coming to me, and I hadn't even been able to really start getting ready for today. And I learned years ago, I don't know if you've ever learned this, but let me teach you something. If you know God's starting giving stuff and bringing stuff, write it down, okay? Because he told Habakkuk, write down the vision. You, you got a vision, you think you'll remember it, you won't. If you don't write it down, you won't. And Pastor Phyllis knows from back 30-some years ago, I live my life by notes. I really do. When I was single, I had notes all up and down my stairs. Because you know what? I got a thousand things to remember. And you know what? I don't miss much. Because if I got a trip over it, it's hard to miss it. So it's a little cluttered, but it works. Okay? And that's what I did Wednesday morning. I, I, I got up, went back to bed, and it started coming. And I thought, wow, that's good. I'm going to remember that. And then I thought, no, I won't. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to throw these warm covers off, get up, go out in the family room, and I'm going to write this down, right? And I did that. And I went back to bed. And then it wasn't very long, and more was coming. And I thought, oh, I really don't want to get up. But I did. And I did that three, maybe four times within a half an hour probably. But it's all good. And I'm so glad I did. Because I know what would have happened had I not. So I say that to say this. I really, really am excited as far as the content. And I'm not even going to try and rush through it. If I don't get through it, I don't get through it. But I'm convinced, as much as I've ever been convinced, that I got down what God, good nuggets that God gave me that I knew were God, not gold nuggets, God nuggets. Amen. And I'm telling you, the devil ain't going to be happy. And I'm just saying this, is there's a lot of people, it's going to minister to some more than others. I believe it's going to minister to everybody. But there's going to be a large group of people who deal with something that the devil has held them bound by. That if you'll listen and don't allow him to distract and don't allow him to steal, I'm telling you boldly, there's going to be a lot, a lot of lives and hearts healed and changed and minds delivered. I'm telling you. So I told my wife, I don't think in all, every, all the times I've ever done this over the years, I don't think I've ever encouraged or promoted to you. You may want to get a CD, but today I would encourage it just simply because I don't think there's going to be a lot of messages within a message is what I guess I'd have to say. Nothing about me. Ain't nothing, I promise you. Nothing, 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 nothing. But I'm telling you, for me, maybe I'm different than all the rest of you guys. I was, wow. God, this is some good, good nuggets. So I just encourage that. And with that, let's go ahead. If you was here two weeks ago, I, I, I preached on you know, following up with what Nicole and Pastor Faith. And that's what we're going to kind of kick off today with the same verse I did two weeks ago. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Now, I want to tell you something that that verse did not say. That the devil, I believe in a lot of people's, not everybody, because I've never dealt with condemnation personally myself. Thank God I haven't. But you want me to tell you something? There's a whole bunch of Christians who do and have. A whole bunch. And I, so I'm just letting the cat out of the bag. That's really a lot of the content of what we're going to talk about. But I just, again, there's other stuff mixed in here too. But I want you to realize that that verse did not say this. Without faith, it's impossible for God to love you. That's not what that verse said. But that's how the devil has interpreted it for a lot of people. Okay? Then, let me go on to say this. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Remember I touched two weeks ago barely on it? Well, one thing, let me say this. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
So obviously, sin doesn't please God, right? Okay? And, and, and that's a whole other subject in itself. But, but the Word says that in Romans 14, 22. Now, another thing that I pointed out two weeks ago, that God showed me this years ago, and I was excited because he, he showed me while I was teaching a message that without faith it's impossible to please God because without faith, God is not be able to do for you and through you what he so desires to do. That's why if faith isn't released, God, it's impossible to be pleased because he can't do what he wants to do. Okay? You got that? All right. Now let's do another one. Here's something. Is it challenges different aspects of God. And as I was sitting back here doing praise and worship, it came to me in this regards, really. When we challenge or don't believe God in certain things or that God is a certain way, we unintentionally, most of the time, disrespect him. Okay? And I'm going to say some of this stuff slow so it sinks in, so you get some of this stuff. What, what do I mean by that? I mean, let me give you an example for the first thing. I want to tell you three things that when you are not operating in faith, that you're, like I say, unknowingly and, and, and unmeaning, disrespecting God. One is you're disrespecting his ability. Okay? Now, this certainly isn't condemnative by any means. Okay? This is just pointing out to where we learn from things that one thing about faith, I'm going to tell you, here's, here's three things that God gave me this week that until you get a revelation of, your faith is not going to get to the level that you and God wanted to get to. Okay? Three, and there's, I'm sure more, but there's three things that he gave me. One is his ability. When we, when we question if really all things are possible. Now, you know, Pastor Phyllis just said up here at the end of her offering, she believes every jot and every tittle of what's in these covers of this Bible. And guess what? I don't know if anybody else is here. I'm with you. I'm absolutely, positively, without a doubt, convinced that this is the unadulterated, pure word of God, no falters, no contradictions, no doubt. It is what it says it, it says. Okay? And you can take it to the bank. And there may be some stuff in here hard to swallow, to believe. I don't know if you literally believe all the miracles that are recorded in the Bible. I do. Every single last one of them. From two weeks ago when I mentioned Samson slaying a thousand people. Like I said, that would be like me and there'd be a thousand soldiers in here. A soldier for every person and then some. Because I don't know that we got a thousand people sitting under here now with the kids being gone. That would be like me single-handedly killing this many soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. That happened. Elijah outran a king's chariot of horses, a man. God split a Red Sea. God fed three million people and gave them water for 40 years in a desert. Have you ever went out to a desert? You'd be good to support your family in a desert without the necessary means, but God supernaturally provided. Amen? Now, guys, I said it last two weeks ago. I believe that the, the reason the miracles that are recorded in here are, was the ones recorded is because he went to the extreme. He went, you know, he wanted you to know if he can feed and supply for three million people in the desert, he can provide for you and your three in your house. That's why. If he could preserve Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a literal furnace of fire that was who knows how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of degrees hot, and their hair wasn't even singed, and the smell of smoke wasn't on them, let alone them be destroyed, he can preserve you and protect you in no matter what situation you ever find yourself in. Isn't that right? Okay. So, to question whether God can do anything. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's really what it boils down to. Because there are some things that are impossible with God. You know that, right? It's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for him to sin. It's impossible for him to not be a God of his word and do what he said he'll do. It's impossible for him to forgive an unrepentant sinner. See, there's a lot of things God can't do, but there's nothing too hard for him to do. Nothing. I don't care what it is. Dream it up, and it ain't going to be too hard for God. Okay? So it'd be like I, when the disrespect thing come in, what came to me back there, 
is that would be like, you know, I'm a LeBron James fan. I like to watch him, and I respect his talents, okay? And, and so it would be like someone saying, LeBron can't dunk a basketball. LeBron can't do this. He can't do that. He ain't no good at this or that. What would that be doing? Disrespecting him, wouldn't it? Because they're not respecting the fact that he can do what most any other human being has ever been able to do with a basketball. Right? So see, with God, the God of creation, the God of this whole universe, this earth, let me tell you, this earth's way, way bigger than you or I really grasp. But this earth is only a drop in the bucket compared to the universe. We serve a way, way bigger God than what we ever can wrap our heads around any of us. All of us. None of us have a full revelation of God's vastness and greatness and awesomeness. I'm convinced, okay? So, his ability. Remember when, when Sarah laughed and, and when it was announced to her that she was going to give birth to a child? And the Bible says she laughed. Well, probably a lot of other Christians would have laughed. They'd just say, come on, you're not going to get me to go that extreme and that off the wall to believe that I, as a 90-year-old woman, can have a child. She laughed. I'm telling you, don't just condemn her because lots of us would have too. The majority of us would have. When Peter, we, we dogged him for sinking, why didn't he just keep his eyes on Jesus? Well, he did something probably none of us would have done, got out of the boat. Right? So, I mean, you want to be careful judging and criticizing others, okay? Just saying. Now, God told Sarah, he wasn't happy when, when she laughed and questioned it. How many of you know God can get upset? Now, his anger endures just for a moment, and his mercy endures forever, but he can get offended and upset from time to time. Is that right? And let me tell you something. I guarantee if you read that, God was offended that Sarah laughed, that he could do that for her. You, were you with me? You're awful quiet. Okay? And what about us? If there's something that we need that's way out there in the miraculous, supernatural, miracle realm, would we ever want to laugh or question whether or not God could do it? Absolutely not, folks. I'm telling you, without a doubt. Before I got saved, I'm talking as a teenager, I think I shared this once before, I was convinced God could do anything. When, when my first son was born, I was 18 years old, I wanted a boy so bad that I remember driving down Elida Road on a Saturday morning because it was time. It, she's going to the hospital. He is being born. I, I prayed as a sinner. Now, this was foolish, but I'm just telling you, I prayed, God, okay, it's down brass tacks now. You're going to have to do whatever you got to do because you know I want a boy. Now, that's the God's truth. Now, that was foolish. But I guarantee you one thing, I'm glad at least I was overboard believing that, hey, God could do it in the womb. You know, people's doing it now, aren't they? Changing from men to women and women to men. I was ahead of times. This was 40 years ago, literally. Okay? But I'm saying, honestly, as a sinner, I never questioned whether God, was there was anything too hard for him. Nothing. I thought, if he made the world, if Ford made the car, can they repair a part? Of course. If God created and is responsible for everything you see, can he fix anything that needs fixed? Yes, he can. Amen? Okay, so let me, let me give you a New Testament account. Mark 16, 14. When Jesus, of course, was resurrected in the tomb, and, and, and Peter and different ones went there, three of them, I believe, went to the tomb, and they saw that it was empty, and they saw the loincloth, and they come back, and they said, he's alive. And you read it, and a lot of them disciples did not receive and believe that. And when Jesus appeared, remember, he walked through a wall, and there he was, and, there, and, and he upbraided them because of their unbelief. Now, I'm going to, see, don't, don't let the devil twist this and think that God's a mean, angry God, because that ain't God I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, it upset him that they questioned the miraculous. Okay? And we don't ever want to repeat that same mistake and ever question 
whether God can or will do anything. Did you notice I said can and will, wills, desires? Now that brings me to another point, okay? Here's about the willingness of God. We're talking about if you really want your faith to thrive and to soar, I'm telling you, these are three things you've got to get settled. God's ability, it's unlimited. Number two, God's willingness. Do you remember the leper who come to Jesus and he says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. You remember that? Let me tell you what's important about that. The man didn't have a question at all whether God could do it, whether Jesus could do it. No question whatsoever. He said, you can do it, but my problem is, will you do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want me to be healed? So that tells me, you can be like I was, believing God can change the sex of a child in a womb. Hello again, wrong, stupid, dumb. But you can believe he can do anything and you think, well, that's all the faith I'd need. If I could just have faith that God could do anything, then I'd be good. No, you wouldn't. Because number two, you got to believe that he's willing. He wants to. You know, there's a profound statement that you, if you've never heard, you want to hear and you want to know. Faith begins where the will of God is known. When you know the will of God about something, that's when you can have faith to receive that something. How many of you in here would have got saved if you wasn't convinced that God was willing to save you and wanted you to come and repent so he could wash you clean? None of you, none of us, none of us would have ever got saved. You suppose that same thing goes with healing? If you don't believe without a doubt that it's the will of God to heal you, do you think you're going to have 100% God faith? You're not. I'll answer that for you. You won't. Now, let me tell you something that came to me this morning at home, getting ready. You know, we're talking about God's willingness, right? You know why God's willing? Because he loves you. Let me ask you something. If you have children, do you want to see your children go without? Do you want to see them suffer? If they had a terminal disease and you had the cure, would you hold it from them? If they were sleeping outside homeless and they was, you know, wanted you to, to help and you didn't help, what's up? You got a 14-year-old living out homeless under a bridge because you refuse to provide. Remember last two weeks ago I talked, that was my mom and dad's job to take care of me. That was their job. Well, guess what? It's God's job now to take care of me because I'm his child. And let me tell you the perspective and the thing that the devil, see, it's all about Satan confusing people's mind. They're, they're looking through Coke bottle bottom glasses, literally. You can't see nothing. It's all completely blurred. That's how people see God. Because when you see and understand God is a good God, God is a willing God. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth every day, every second, just to find a crack that he can get in and do something big. That's God. Okay? Do you want me to tell you the perspective that a lot of people have about God? The perspective that a lot of people have, they ought to be calling children's services on God. It's the truth. We, 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 we know that in this world, children can be taken away from their parents because the parents aren't providing, taking care of them, are abusing them. But yet that's the perception that a lot of Christians, not just sinners, sinners too, but a lot of Christians, their perception of their heavenly father. Is this hitting home to anybody? Because I'm telling you guys, it's the truth. It's the truth. That's why it's so important for us to renew our minds to think right and not think wrong because the devil will tell you plenty to think about that's wrong. He'll tell you all kinds of lies and confusion and deceptions to give you a wrong perception of your heavenly father. And this is, this is just an area, okay? Now, 
Here's another one. Integrity. Okay? So we got, don't ever disrespect God's ability. Don't ever question or disrespect God's willingness to do good for you. Because he, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You see, now, if you're going to go out here and be a rebellious, disobedient sinner, bent on breaking every rule you can break, forget it. He's going to withhold some good things from you, just like you would a child, okay? But I'm talking about people who in their heart want to love God and want to do what's right. No good thing, not one good thing will he withhold from you. And you can read and do a study in the Bible. What's good? Well, healing's good. Blessing's good. Peace is good. Victory's good. There's a lot of good things. Amen? And he won't, he won't withhold. Now, you may do without, but it's not because he withheld. Okay? Now, here's the other one. Integrity. Don't ever disrespect God by questioning his integrity. What do I mean by that? I said it two weeks ago. Did you know some people can tell you, I'll be there at 10 o'clock, and you know don't even start looking until 10.30. But then other people tell you, I'll be there at 10 o'clock, and you know 5 till 10 they're going to be there. Oh, am I right? There's some people, you know, with, with work. If I got somebody, a, a, a contractor or a worker that tells me he'll take care of something, I'm good. Because I know it'll get taken care of. But then there might be another subcontractor that tells me, and I, I'm not so convinced, and I'm, I'm kind of a little concerned, and i got to give him a couple, two, three phone calls to make sure he's going to come through with what he said he was going to do. You know what I'm saying. Well, guess what? When God tells you he's going to do something, you can take it to the bank. He will do it. He will absolutely, positively fulfill his end of the deal. You, you with me? Now let me tell you something else. With my business, I'm a businessman. If I sell a job, I write up a contract, okay? I don't do a job without writing up a contract. I don't. Now I, I've, I've rented some places, apartments and houses without a written, without a written lease, but that's, I shouldn't do that ever, but it happens. But I don't ever build a building for somebody without having a written contract. Because you know why? Because I want it to be clearly understood what I'm saying I will do and other things that I can't be held liable for and I, things that I'm not going to do. I'm going to do what I write here and I'm not going to do no more than that, but I'm going to do this. Guess what, guys? You got a contract from God Almighty and he wrote in here everything that he'll do and you can take it to the bank. And guess what? If, if you ever had to go to a court of law and you got a black and white contract and it's so simple and spelled out, that's worth its weight in gold. Amen? Because it's in writing. They agreed, they signed on this date that they agreed to the terms and the conditions of this contract. Well, guess what? Jesus did that for you and I. He signed this contract with his blood and he said, it's, it's just like a, a will. This is a will that Jesus put together for us, that when he died, he's going to will to each one of us all these things, all these promises, all these provisions. Isn't that good? See, it's a testament. It's a will. And it's legal. And it's binding. And the devil's going to challenge you and try to beat you out of it. Did you know that? You know, some of the ugliest family divisions are over wills and over estates. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen it? You had any family? I've had family that's went there, done that. But you see, when it's in writing, that's it. There's no question. It's settled. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And it's promised. And just like Randy with the prophecy he gave, by two immutable things, I was going to, I'm going to maybe mention that a little later in Hebrews. It says, by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, and it talks about contracts. That's what it talks about in Hebrews. That's what he just prophesied just before service. And so just, guys, don't ever, ever question. And I'm going to watch my notes real close. I'm going to follow my notes closer than I've ever followed them 
because I know that this is so important, the content of what I'm telling you. So, um, there's a scripture, verse 2319, Numbers 2319, that I remember a preacher when I first started coming here, did a revival on the other side of the interstate, and I'll never forget, I never had heard of it until that time, Randy Moore was the guy's name. Do you remember that name? That's probably been 32 years ago. And I remember, that's the first preacher I ever heard say that verse. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said and will he not do? Has he not spoken and will he not make it good? Whew. That's what I want you to know. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. See, but the re you may tell you why I think. I might be wrong, but the reason I think maybe a lot of people don't take this at face value and, and put all of your trust and confidence in this is because if you yourself aren't 100% trustworthy in your word, then you probably subconsciously wonder if anybody is. Did that make sense? See, if a person is a liar, they're probably going to have a hard time believing anybody. Because deep down, they really believe, well, everybody lies. Everybody tells at least a little white lie. No, everybody doesn't lie, folks. And if you are, you need to quit because that's a serious situation. Don't take lightly. White lies, big bold lies, big black lies, they're all lies. You can rob a gun with a, a bank with a gun, a knife, with nothing. It's all bank robbery. Okay? So... God's integrity. Now, I'm going to repeat it again. For your faith to ever thrive, our faith to ever thrive, and really reach its maximum potential, you're going to have to get settled those three things. I'm telling you. God's ability, God's willingness, and God's integrity. Okay? Now, that's a message in itself, but that's not where we're going to go. We're going to move on. Now, what are some things that abort our faith? And I, I emphasize that word abort because that's what happens. Faith is born in a person's heart. Any of you guys ever had faith for something? I hope you have. You had hope at least. You know, well, if, you, if faith has ever been born in your heart, you got to carry that thing the full term. You got to let it run its nine months or whatever it, it takes. And during that time, don't allow it to be aborted. Don't you abort it and don't let nobody else abort it. But I'm going to tell you some things. Again, there's a lot of messages in one here, but I'm just going to bullet, hit bullet points for you. One is faith works by love. I touched on that two weeks ago. You want me to tell you one of the biggest detriments, I believe without a doubt, that causes people to waver in faith is because they're not fully convinced and persuaded that God absolutely is head over heels in love with them as much as he is with anybody else, including Jesus. Amen. See, if you don't have a revelation that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus, I'm not just talking mentally ascent. I'm talking really deep down know that you're as favored in God's eyes as Jesus Christ, his son. He's the firstborn among many brethren. When we get that revelation, you know what? Whatever Jesus asks, Jesus got. And why do we think that we're different? I'm going to tell you why. There's reasons, okay? But this is one big one. Because you question how much God really, truly loves you. Okay? Well, how many of you know God doesn't just love perfect people? Because if he did, he wouldn't have nobody to love. Have you ever figured that one out? The devil ain't never told you that one, has he? Huh? He's never told you that. But he will tell you that God don't love you because you don't measure up, because you're not as spiritual, because you're not as special, because you're not as this or that. He's told you that, hadn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, so that's, that's something you want to protect yourself against. I want to ask you something. And this, again, is a whole message in itself. But something just again this morning that came to me. Does, does God have any favorites? No. I'll answer that for you. No. Does he have some children that he's closer to than others? Yes. He does. 
He had his inner circle with the 12 disciples. But do you know why they were closer to Jesus than the rest? Because they chose to be. Do you think Jesus, if the fourth disciple would have tried to come in on one of their special bonding times together, he said, uh, excuse me, only three allowed. Huh? No. My Bible tells me we can draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it don't matter how, how much every step that you take towards God, he takes at least one step towards you. And there's no limit how many steps you can take towards God to get close and intimate with him. Now, again, it's important stuff, guys, I'm telling you. Because, see, that's what our perception, because, see, when I asked that question, does God have any special ones? I don't know if you noticed it. It was pretty quiet. You know what you should have been saying? No, he don't have no special. I'm his special. And she's his special. And they're his special. And he's his special. We're all his special. See, he doesn't have any favorites. And you want me to tell you why? Because God's not a respecter of persons, and if he was, he would commit sin. Because that's what Romans said. If you have respect to persons, you convict, you're convicted of the law as guilty of sin. To show favoritism. See, God's not a respecter of persons. Now, God is a respecter of principles. There's a big difference. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of principles. Okay? Now, how about the prodigal son? I want to ask you something. I'm not going to promote any of you guys to go out here and backslide today after the service, okay? I encourage you don't. I encourage you don't ever backslide. God's married to the backslider, but I would encourage you don't backslide. Because if you die in your backsliding state, I got news for you. You're going south, not north. You know what I'm saying? If you die... In a backslidden state. Now God's married to the backslider and he's sitting at home waiting for that spouse to get their senses back and come back home and realize how good they had it. You know what I'm saying? So, but here's what I want to ask you. Did the father of the prodigal son, did he love the son who stayed where he belonged and didn't go off and go crazy and sleep with prostitutes and get drunk? Which one did he love more? Thank you. He loved them the same. You see, there wasn't, in my opinion, there wasn't nothing that prodigal could have done to make his father quit loving him. You see, if you ever ask the parent of a child who's went to prison for 30 years, if they ever stopped loving them, I got a pretty good hunch that I can tell you, they don't stop loving them. I remember my mom and dad when I was probably 17 in a mess and in all kinds of trouble and doing all kinds of wrong things. And, I'm, and they weren't even Christians. And they sat on a back patio and they told me, they said, don't you realize that no matter what you do or how much wrong you do, we're going to still love you. I remember that. That's been 42 years ago. But see, I still remember that. And remember, I told you two weeks ago, my family wasn't one that we would hug and kiss and say, I love you. But I, we, we didn't have to because I knew that one statement right there alone, and I knew it before that, fortified their love for me was unconditional. Okay? Now see, that's what you guys need to get. God's love for you is unconditional. Now, if you choose to walk away from his love, then you can do like the prodigal, you can go into a far country and you can sleep with the pigs and eat with the pigs and you can do it as long as you want. And, and all the love that that father has for you isn't going to help you until you come to your right senses like that prodigal did and come back to where you know it don't get no better than this. You see? Okay, so faith works by love. How are we doing? I knew I wasn't going to get through this. That's all right. Faith, let me just, I said this two weeks ago. Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. I'm going to remind you, if you wasn't here maybe, something that I believe God showed me two weeks ago is Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we think, well, if you don't hear the word of God, 
There's, you're not going to have no faith. But let me tell you, I believe, scripturally, if you're a Christian, you've already got faith. You've obtained, like precious faith, just like Peter, James, John, Paul. You got the same measure of faith that they got. You got it. But it may have died. It may have gotten weak because you haven't used it. Remember the illustration that Randy so graciously participated in two weeks ago? And he showed his weak, feeble, frail bicep to the whole congregation to illustrate that if you don't exercise spiritual things, that's how your spirit's going to look. And I'm telling you, Randy, it, it motivated a lot, a lot of people. <laughs> More than any other thing that I've ever found, it motivated a lot of people. But the, the thing is, you have faith, okay? But does your faith need resurrected? Because it, it may. Does your, need, your faith need propped up? Does your faith need encouraged, fed? It, it very well may. We all do. If you don't feed your faith, you know what's going to happen to it, right? It's going to get weak. You can't go 30 days without food and run a marathon. I used to hear a saying, seven days without prayer makes one week. But not W-E-E-K, W-E-A-K. Seven days without prayer makes one week, like Randy. Okay? Just to clarify. Okay, so now, let me take you, let's go to Romans. I want you to turn here, because here's something that I, I'm really excited about. We're going to have time to at least get this in. Um, okay, Romans chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Now, I'm telling you, the devil has messed up a lot of our theology thinking, okay? And I'm telling you, listen to closely to what I said. The devil has messed up a lot of theological thinking, theological thinking. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to tell you right here. We're going to look at three verses, and I'm going to, it's going to prove a point that I don't think I'll have to expound on. In verse 4, Romans 4, 4. Now, before we do that, thank you. Okay, he's got the verse on there. Um, and that's okay. I'm going to have him put something else on the overhead projector that I had him before the service. I told him I wanted to because I want you to look at something and don't ever forget it. Because it, it's a revelation that will discern something for you and balance something for you that in most people's lives we really need to balance. Okay? But listen to this. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, but... Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, did you just get that? Does everybody know what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Everybody know that? Everybody know you can't get saved by starting going to church, reading your Bible, praying, giving tithes, witnessing to people. How many of you know that's not how you get saved? Is that right? Some people think that. They think, well, if I just start doing the right things, then I'll be a Christian. No, you have to be born a Christian. You can't be made a Christian. You have to be born a Christian. And then when you're born a Christian, then you'll automatically, it's easy to do the things that Christians do. It's not hard for a dog to bark. I talked about that two weeks ago. It's not hard for a kitty or a cat to climb a tree. It comes natural because it was born a cat. And as a Christian, once you get born again, I couldn't quit the habits in my life, drug and alcohol, on my own. I didn't have enough willpower. I literally didn't. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't have the willpower. I would have never quit. But you know what? I got saved, and boom, I quit. It was over. It was done. It was delivered instantly, miraculously. Now, maybe it doesn't always happen that way, but I'm here to tell you guys it can happen that way because I'm living proof. God can instantly deliver you from addiction, 
from, from whatever you need delivered from, God can do it. And he can do it now. And then there's other times that maybe it might be a process as far as overcoming certain things that, that snag you and weigh you down. Weights and such. Okay, now turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Boy, I hope I get through at least this segment of it. I'm pretty sure I will. Galatians chapter 3. Let me get there. Everybody all right? Are we, okay. Galatians 3 verse 3. It says, are you, well here, verse 2, let's go to. Received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And then you go on down to verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and works miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now I touched on that two weeks ago. And here's what my point is, guys. Here's where we get, I'm convinced, twisted, bad. Is we know before we get saved that we don't receive from God by works. That it's only by grace. Am I right? Is that how you got saved? Is that how anybody can get saved? Can you get saved any other different way? Again, can you get saved by reading your Bible, praying, coming to church, sacrificially giving? Can, can any of that make you saved? No. It's only by grace through faith. So here's what's happening here is the Galatians, once they came out of legalism and the law, what were they doing? The devil was trying to pull them back into that mentality. Do you see and do you know? He was. And let me tell you something. He does the same today in our generation. He tries to, to deceive and blind and confuse us to thinking that the only thing you're going to get from God is what you deserve. Hello? Is this Bible? Am I reading? I'm, I'm reading out of the King James here. Okay? Now, let me tell you something. Because there's a balance. Okay? You, you, why does everybody want to either go way this side or way this side? What's wrong with just staying in the middle of the road? That's what God wants. He just wants you down the middle of the road. Okay? just balances. He don't want this up here and this up here. He just wants it balanced. Okay? And that's what we're going to do. Now, I want to give you another one. I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to read it. John 6, 28 and 29. Now, does the Bible talk about works in the New Testament? It absolutely does. Okay? And works have their place and, and, and there's relevance big time to works. Our works. Our works are important. Our works matter, okay? But let me tell you what Jesus said when his disciples came to him and says, what must we do to work the works of God? And that's real interesting what he said. Listen to what he said. He said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he sent. Is anybody getting this? What's that telling you? That's telling you that you want to be more concentrated on what he did than what you're doing. Balance, again, am I, am I going excessive grace message here? No. No. Because, again, grace has to be down the middle of the road. There's a perfect balance to grace. But I'm saying, if you're way off on one side or another, get in the middle of the road. That's all I'm saying. Okay? Now, here's what I want. The, the, I want them to put up on the screen. Thank you. Now, Everybody look up on the screen. And do you see that? Redemptive rights. Oh, it's backwards, but that's okay. Because it's still the same thing. I really wanted to focus, first of all, on the achievement awards. Now, guys, I'm telling you, I without a doubt believe this was a revelation God gave me just like yesterday. Last night. Achievement awards versus royalty rewards and redemptive rights. And let me tell you something. This will set some people free. If you pay attention and you look at that and you lock in on that and you meditate that and you get that deep down in your spirit, it's going to set a lot of people free. Because a lot of people wrap all them into one. And there's a grave difference. Now I'm going to have you look at that and it's, it's kind of like a little puzzle or riddle. Do you see the difference? 
thank you, switch it around. Achievement awards, okay, is one thing. And let me ask you something. Is there rewards and awards for us as Christians? There is. I'll answer that for you. There are rewards. Are there rewards for you when you get to heaven if you've done certain things? Yes. If you won souls, is there going to be rewards and a crown waiting for you? Yes. If you sacrificially gave of yourself and of your finances and of your time and of your effort and of your heart, your soul, is there going to be rewards for you? Yes. Is some people going to have more rewards than others? Yes. We all good so far? Are we? Because see, this is important that you get the clarity and the distinction difference. Now let's go to the other ones. Royalty rewards. Are royalty rewards different than achievement awards? Now see, I don't think you've ever heard this because I never have until last night. But there's a big difference. Let me tell you what the difference is. You ask the child of a sovereign king or queen if there's a difference between royalty rewards and achievement awards. Well, let it soak in. There's a difference. Because let me tell you something. Let, let's just use Donald Trump. I don't know if you're a fan or if you're not, but I don't care. It's just let's use him. Okay? He, he's a billionaire. Okay? And he has, I don't know how many children, four? I don't know, something like that. Well, let me tell you something. If any one of his children go out and choose and pursue a desire, a dream, a goal, and let's say they become a Nobel Prize winner, that's an achievement award. But you want me to tell you what a royalty reward is? They get to sit at his table anytime they want and go and visit him, and he's going to be there to bless them as his offspring, regardless whether they ever get an achievement award or not. You got it? Now see, this, maybe this won't get everybody excited and, and, and revolutionize your life, but I'm telling you, I know there's a lot of people, you need to hear this. I know for a positive fact that there's a lot of people that do not have this revelation. And until you get it, the devil's going to whoop up on you until the day you die. Okay? Redemptive rights. What, what, what do I mean by redemptive rights? And, you know, I thought of this. This is something I want to remember the rest of my life because it just came to me last night. And you remember we said if we don't write things down, you'll forget it. Well, I remember going through a Dale Carnegie course 40-some years ago that, you know, the way you remember, if I go to an appointment and meet with a person and his name's Bill, well, then you know how I'm going to remember Bill and not, not call him Charlie? I'll think of Bill Stober. I'll think, okay, I get a picture of Bill Stober in my mind. Bill, I'm going to be talking to a Bill. And it works. It's, it's, it's great. It really works. Well, here, let me just tell you this. A-A-R-R. -R. And I, I, this may sound silly, but I'm telling you, this may help some of you. A-A, Alcoholics Anonymous. R-R, Rolls Royce. Not a good mixture. If you got someone going to A-A that still ain't been delivered and drive drunk all the time, they shouldn't be driving a Rolls Royce. And let me ask you guys something. Not everybody's going to remember that, but some of you might remember that. AA, Achievement Awards. So now we already talked about the difference between royalty rewards. What about um, redemptive rights? Let me tell you something. There's redemption things that Jesus' death at Calvary accomplished and addressed. And under any one of those categories, you ain't got nothing to do with whether you are entitled to those rights. Other th aside from, now like I say, if you're going to be rebellious and disobedient and just go off and, and be rebellious and disobedient, that's different. Okay? But I'm talking, if you're going to keep your head level and you're going to stay in the game and you're going to walk the walk that, you know, God wants us to walk and have a heart. That's what you got to do. You got to have a, a right heart. And that's what, don't know if we're going to get there. We're running out of time. But you know what? We're going we're to do the best we can. Um, 
I'm, I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay right here on course. Let me, let me just say it this way, because here's, here's a bringing a balance to it all. Because let's say prayer, fasting, studying the word. Are those all important things? Does those things earn merits for God to heal you or to bless you or to love you? Huh? No. But you want me to tell you what I've observed a lot of Christians over the years doing? Is the reason they believe they didn't get healed because they didn't pray enough. They didn't fast enough. This is important, guys. I'm telling you, this is good whether you know it or not. See, it's not so much based on that. So what do we do? We don't need to pray. We don't need to fast. We don't need to study. I wouldn't recommend that. I really wouldn't recommend that at all. Because if you neglect those things, your faith's going to suffer, and your faith's going to be famished, and your faith will eventually die. I'm just saying, okay? Let me go back here. I don't want to miss this. The Pharisees did all those things. They fasted, they prayed, and they paid tithes down to the very last dime. Did it do them any good? See, those things in themselves don't do any good if they're not done with the right motive and the right frame of spiritual maturity to understand that it, it, it's like this. Let me tell you how you can liken it. They took good things and used them wrong. And, and how can you do that? I'll tell you how you can do it. Is if you're working out in your garden and I bring to you a shovel and you say, what's that? I say, it's a shovel. You ain't never seen a shovel? Huh? I said, yeah, it'll help you a lot. And you leave and they start using it with the wrong end. And go, do you no good? If you're using the end of the pole and not the shovel head. You see what I'm saying? See, prayer, fasting, and studying will do wonders for you, but use the right end. Understand the purpose and the way that it works. And it doesn't work, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. We read Romans. It's either grace or death. Which one is it? Which one are you going to operate in? Are you going to live your life and receive from God by what you deserve and what you earn or by what Jesus did? It's one or the other. It's one or the other. You can choose. You can do it your way. And there's a lot of people trying to do it their way and they're going to end up in hell doing it. Because let me tell you something. What you do is never going to be enough to merit or earn or deserve God's blessings in Christ. Is anybody getting this? I hope. I'm telling you, it's so important. You're never going to get it that way. So I got to at least finish up this thought. Um, what about the Pharisee, the Pharisee, remember, in Luke 18, who was praying? And there was another guy over here who was just a flat-out sinner. You remember the story? The Pharisee prayed thus with himself. And he spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves. That's a key. That's who Jesus directed this parable towards. And you say, well, who be foolish enough to trust in themselves? Who, who's foolish enough to think they're good enough to go to heaven without getting saved? The same person who's foolish enough to think that because they pray, read, and fast enough that they deserve the blessings of God that Jesus alone paid for and provided. Same mentality. Same mentality. And you know what? Jesus said, the man prayed thus with himself. God wasn't even paying attention. That's what it says. He was praying thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not as other men, like this guy over here, Ray Moody. I'm so glad that I got my act together and I'm, you know, because I, I fast twice, twice a week. I pay tithes of everything I got. I read my Bible inside and out. That's what it said. Yeah, watch out. Because if you become self-righteous and think that you got it all together, he that 
what, what's that verse? Um, he that thinks he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Huh? See, don't ever get prideful in that because that's something that can really quickly drag you down. Like I say, I'm not even going to get near where I thought, but that's all right. But now let me just tell you something. So what's the key? This is where we're going to wrap up. This is the key. I, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth said this. Feed your faith, starve your doubts. And you see, why do we wonder sometimes when our faith is so weak and wavering when we ain't been feeding it? Why do you think that when you run a marathon and you, you conk out the first quarter mile, it's because you didn't do no training? <laughs> Am I right? You see, you think you're going to be able to fight a 12-round fight and never train? You're not going to last. That's excruciating, man. I, I used to wrestle in high school, and let me tell you, five minutes seemed like five hours because you're exerting every ounce of energy for that five minutes. When I watch these MMA fighters fight for three rounds or, or for five rounds or, like I say, a heavyweight boxer go 12 rounds, it's insane how conditioned they got to be to last, to stand a chance. And yet we're going in to fight with principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and you ain't trained, you ain't going to stand a chance. You follow me? Okay. I, I, I do know that I think Smith Wigglesworth said this. Most Christians feed their body three hot meals a day, and their spirits one cold snack a week. And that's not to say that if you come to a church where you get the word that that's a snack, but when you're only paying attention to about 10 minutes of it, that's a snack. Three hot meals a day and one cold snack a week, where's that going to get you? It's going to get you like Randy Mann's. Flatline. <laughs> I used to think flatline meant in the surgery and that until I saw Randy do that two weeks ago. <laughs> Flatline's got a whole new meaning and perspective. And everybody that's left, if you feel sorry for him, I'm telling you, everybody's left, he's dished that out to every single person that's left. You know the truth. Amen? Okay. Now, wrapping up, here's, here's what we're supposed to... Okay, fasting. Did you know we're supposed to fast physically not spiritually. What do I mean by that? You don't fast fasting. You don't fast the word. You don't fast prayer. We're not supposed to. But we, we, we often do, don't we? We don't have no problem fasting spiritual things. It's just fasting physical things. It's hard. Right? Now here's, here's the wrap up. My first page. Mark, the fourth chapter. It talks about the parable of the sower, right? Now let me tell you, we've talked about faith works by love. Faith without works is dead. And what's the works of God? What, corresponding actions, obviously. If you really believe something, then you'll act like it's so and you'll talk like it's so. If you really believe it. If you really, truly believe it. Now if you just believe it up here, you may not do that. But if you believe it in here, you'll act and talk what you believe. Okay? Now... Weeds. You want to know something that, that uh, aborts our faith? Weeds. Right? Not weed, weeds. <laughs> weed will too affect your faith. I can attest to that. But let me tell you, Jesus said, explaining the parable, he said, you know what? And, and, and I'm telling you something that I believe you can do. You can substitute instead of the word, the source is the word, you can substitute faith instead of the word. And look at the analogy of each of the three things that choke the word and, and cause the word to not work. These are three things that will cause faith not to work. Weeds. Okay? And here Jesus lays it out real quick. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. I never thought about it until yesterday. What, what other things? I didn't even catch that. Other things. What, what other things? Other things other than spiritual. If you are so absorbed in feeding your flesh and your soul with the things of this world, your faith's not going to, ain't going to make it. You know what I'm saying? Now here's a revelation. 
Prayer, study, and fasting are like Roundup. Think about that. You want me to tell you, when Jesus told and rebuked his disciples because they didn't have faith to cast the devil out of the little 12-year-old boy that the father brought to him to help him, and, and they tried, but they couldn't. And Jesus came along, and boom, it was done. And they said, Jesus, what was the problem? We were using your name. Why didn't, why didn't it work for us? And he said, because of unbelief. And he says, this kind comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. And I probably said this before when I've taught, he ain't talking about this kind of a devil comes out through prayer and fasting. It's this kind of unbelief doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. You want to get rid of unbelief in your life? You're going to need more than a hoe and a rake. You're going to need prayer, fasting, and the word, and renewing your mind with the word. And what happens when you spray Roundup in your yard or your garden? Kills weeds, but what doesn't it kill? Doesn't kill the grass, does it? Or does it? Somebody help me out here. I'm not a gardener. I don't ever want to be. Does Roundup, does it or does it not? Does it kill weeds but lets the grass live or not? It kills everything. So there, there. Okay. So that lets you know I'm not 100% anointed, but that's okay. But there are certain things that you can treat plants with that will kill the bad. Okay. You're so wise. How about antibiotics? How about the word prayer and fasting being likened unto antibiotics? Antibiotics don't kill the person, but it kills the bad bacteria. And guess what? Let's, let's get a different perspective. Should, should you pray, fast, and study less because those aren't the things that earn and merit and get you things, earn you things from God? Should we quit? No, I think you ought to do it more. I think we all ought to do it more because of what we're talking about. You know, weeds. And then last of all, words. See, these are all messages in themselves. But let me tell you something. You don't want to tell you what will abort your faith? Words. Life and death indeed. Now see, if you're like, I'm not like Phyllis and I, and you don't really believe the word verbatim, you may not believe that there's death and life in the power of the tongue. But I'm here to tell you, there are. Words are, are more powerful than dynamite. And let me tell you, and I'm done, Go out and try to water your garden and your lawn with gasoline and tell me how good a result you get. You get the picture? Well, you go try to water your faith and see your faith grow when you're spraying words of doubt, death, and unbelief on it. And I guarantee you, you ain't going to get good results. You're going to kill what you're trying to grow. You ready? Okay. So, guys, I'm going to wrap up. And didn't get it near as far, but I got it where we got. And you know what? That's enough to chew on. If you just get that, what you're going to remember, AA means what? Huh? No, Alcoholics Anonymous. Come on. And RR means what? Rolls Royce. No, it don't. What's it mean? RR means royalty rewards and redemptive rights. Don't mix because they're totally different. Got it? All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and pray and dismiss so you can get out of here and feed your flesh. Amen. We fed your spirit, now it's your flesh this turn. All right, well, Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we do thank you. We do honor you. We do respect you, Father. God, we do. We are believers. We do believe, Father, that you are a good God. We believe that you're a willing God, that your eyes do run to and fro throughout the whole earth to just show your love and shower your love on your people. And God, we thank you that you're a, a God of your word, that we don't ever have to wonder or worry whether you'll you'll fulfill your end of the deal. You will every time. So Father, I pray that as the word went forth today, that faith will be birthed and will be resurrected in people's lives today, Father. I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us 
to retain these things, these nuggets, God. Help us to, to lock in on them, Father. Help us to meditate upon them. Help us to not let them slip through our hands or through our hearts or through our minds. Father, we pray, we want to God, we want all of you that we can have. We want everything that you want for us to have. We want to be everything that you want us to be, to do for us and to do through us. So Father, our prayer today is change our hearts, change our minds, change our ways, change our attitudes, change our desires wherever they need to be changed, change our motives wherever they need to be changed. God, you do in us whatever you want. We just put ourselves on the potter wheel and we ask, do with us as you want. But we do willingly submit ourselves to you because we know you're a good, good father. And we know that you want to shape us and form us for nothing but good, nothing bad, all good. And Father, we thank you for helping people, Father, allowing this truths, the truths that we talked about today, to set them free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you don't know the truth, you won't be free. But Father, help people to hold on to truth that as they act upon, as they hold on to, they'll be free, free from condemnation. We didn't even get into that, God. But Father, I believe that there was parts that, that alluded very much to it that will help people set people free from condemnation because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No, none, not now, not ever, none. That's what it says. So Father, we thank you for that name of Jesus and we thank you for a good week ahead for blessing everyone protecting everyone and father we just give you the glory and the honor in Jesus name amen and amen